this is Shannon Lynn, and you're listening to the Dialed In Podcast. I'm here today with Carrie Dunlop. Carrie is a certified functional medicine health coach and wellness junkie who specializes in working with inherited family trauma. A former TV producer, Carrie now helps people see how the real life stories of their family histories are unknowingly connected to the challenges they currently struggle with. By becoming a detective of their family stories, she helps people see how the heartbreaks, resentments, and disappointments of our parents and grandparents can live in our depression, anxiety, financial hardships, relationship struggles, and even our perpetual people-pleasing. It didn't start with us, and the good news is that we can break the generational cycle of these patterns. It was her own 25-year struggle with chronic illness that ultimately changed things for her in the best of ways. The proverbial silver lining of her health journey was discovering the work of Mark Wolin, one of the leading experts in the field of inherited family trauma. Attending his two-day workshop connected many of the dots that would later become pivotal stepping stones for her, both personally and professionally. Since that weekend, over 10 years ago, she became the organizer of his training programs and has trained in every facet of his work. Carrie is also a Martha Beck life coach and a self-professed neuroscience geek obsessed with learning about the brain. Carrie has studied with neuroplasticity experts Rick Hansen, Annie Hopper, and Lisa Wimberger. She also is a Young Living Essential Oil Specialist who teaches about the benefits of essential oils on the brain. I had the pleasure of meeting Carrie close to about 12 years ago in Calgary, and I am super excited to have her on the podcast today. So let's go chat with Carrie Dunlop. So I'm super happy to be here with Carrie Dunlop. She's joining us from Calgary, Alberta today. And Carrie, we've known each other for quite some time. So I'm really excited to have you on the show today and have you speak all about what you're doing. And you have an impressive background with experience in wellness and healing. And we're gonna hear all about that today. But before we get into it, Um, I know you have a lot to share with us. In your bio, it states, it was her own 25-year struggle with chronic illness that ultimately changed things for her in the best of ways. Can you start off by telling us a little bit about your journey and what led you to what you're doing now? How has this changed your life? Yes, well, I affectionately in my bio refer to it as my health journey, and that's spelled H-E-L-L-T-H because wasn't fun. Um, for 20 some years, I, I struggled a lot, suffered a lot. So I, um, one Christmas before I finished the television production program I was taking, I got really, really sick. And, I, you know, there was meningitis was in the news. And I thought I had all of the um, symptoms, except I didn't have a rash. And then I ended up breaking all the blood vessels in my face from coughing so much. And 
it turned out to be bronchitis, but I think it was really um, the start of um, my Lyme disease. I uh, spent 20 some years trying to get a diagnosis and I would go from doctor to hospital to wellness center to Reiki appointment. And I even went to George Clooney's herbalist when I worked in LA. Um, and he couldn't figure it out, not to say that he, you know, he was great at what he did. I was just um, a bit of a challenging case. So uh, yeah, the last stint I had working in um, film and television was producing a, a biography series in Toronto and um, was just really, really struggling to the point where I moved back to Calgary and found an integrative uh, functional medicine doctor who's amazing um, by the name of Dr. Bruce Hoffman. And, you know, I just really, he didn't give up on me. He, you know, it still took him some time to connect all the dots, but um, he, he didn't give up and we finally got the diagnosis. And it was actually he who introduced me to Mark Wollin's work. Um, Mark is one of the foremost um, experts in the field of inherited trauma. <clears throat> and I ended up working with him and training with him for the last almost 11 years. And it's, you know, I, I couldn't have written a script like this myself. I just, I'm just so grateful for what I've been able to learn and share with others. And, you know, I spent, I think it was 19 years getting a diagnosis. So anything I can do to fast track something for somebody else, I'm, I'm gonna do that. So here we are. Wow, 19 years. Were there a lot of misdiagnoses in there before? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think my favorite was um, I was told I had a hiatal hernia and not to wear pantyhose and drink coffee. So, um, wow. Yeah. Like, well, I don't do any of those anyways. So, yeah, I know they, you know, you get all kinds of tests and poking and prodding and things like that done. And Lyme is such a controversial diagnosis, anyways, that a lot of people aren't really up to speed on what even to look for and then the testing in Canada is really um again controversial and not very effective so mm -hmm. well I know you know you can't even say the l word in a doctor's office <laughs> nowadays unless yeah. you know yeah it's 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 definitely controversial uh now was it worse you know 19 years ago do you think or has it gotten a little bit better well I think it's gotten better I mean I didn't even know what I was I, I didn't know what I didn't know back then, right? So I didn't even know what I was looking at. But I think with, you know, people like Justin Bieber and um, Shania Twain, and, you know, it's getting some, um, making more headlines and getting more um, attention. So hopefully we'll see <clears throat> changes in the system and changes in treatment and people, you know, because once, if you, catch it, if you catch it early, um, you know, you do pretty well, but it's the chronic line where it gets uh, a little challenging. Yeah, for sure. And then you have to um, go private in order to get treatment, which is out of out of pocket. Hey, yeah. so um, you luckily found Dr. Hoffman there and he's also from Calgary. Yes. Well, he's originally from South Africa and then he um, practiced in Saskatchewan and but he's been in and then Victoria, but he's been in Calgary for well, I've been I've been there for still over 13 years off and on through the last decade. So, yeah, he's he's based here in Calgary now. Wow. Well, I'm excited to hear about what you are, are doing now. And, uh, and that's going to kind of be the bulk of what I want to get into here is um, what you're working on in inherited family trauma. So today we're going to be focusing on that and its role in healing. Um, so I'm going to ask you, what is inherited family trauma? How did you come upon this healing method? Um, you mentioned already that you found Mark. 
And uh, if you could just tell us, you know, all about it, the who, what, where, when, why, what exactly is it? How can people use this and how can they, how can they use it for healing? Yeah, well, I'm a big fan of storytelling and stories and have been since a kid and reading biographies of, you know, um, Amelia Earhart and Helen Keller and people like that. So, um, so storytelling has taken a different spin now in this work, but I do want to start off with a story. And this is a story of a 16-year-old boy with a rare neurological disorder. So when he was 10 years old, he began experiencing intense burning sensations on his skin. And the doctors couldn't figure out what was happening. They couldn't find any root cause. So his mother spoke about a trauma the boy's father experienced when he was 10. The father was playing with matches and accidentally set a garage on fire and the house burned down. The father's brother died in, um, in the fire and the father never forgave himself. And so because the trauma remained unhealed and unresolved and it wasn't spoken about, the father's son expressed symptoms, the burning sensations on his skin at the very same age, age 10. And the family never made the connection. But after doing this work, the boy's symptoms subsided. So his story isn't unlike many of the stories we carry. The suffering of the past can definitely live on in our present. And we actually inherit more than our mom's long legs and our dad's brown eyes. So unbeknownst to us, there's an emotional inheritance from previous generations that live on in our depression, our anxiety, financial hardships, relationship struggles, and even our perpetual people-pleasing. So as infants, we don't enter the world with a clean hard drive. There's an operating system already in place, one that contains the fallout from the traumas our parents and grandparents experienced. And we're born with fears and feelings that don't always belong to us. And there's actually a science to how we suffer. The research in epigenetics is making headlines um, as of late, and it's telling us that we can carry molecular scars from the experiences of our parents and our grandparents. And these scars can shape our genome for three generations. They've actually did a study with worms and they showed these epigenetic changes carried on for 14 generations. But more common are these mice studies that show us uh, these changes for up to three generations. And it's interesting because humans and mice share a similar genetic makeup. About 92% of the genes in mice are similar to the genes in humans, with actually over 80% being identical. And so when a trauma happens, it changes us. It literally, there's a chemical change in our DNA, and this can change how our genes function, sometimes for generations. Technically, a chemical tag attaches to our DNA and tells the cell to use or ignore certain genes, enabling us to better deal with the trauma. And then the way our genes are affected changes how we act or feel. For example, we can become sensitive or reactive to situations that are similar to the original trauma, even if the trauma occurred in a past generation. But this equips us so we have a better chance of surviving it in this generation. So for example, if our grandparents came from a war-torn country with bombs exploding, bullets flying, and uniformed men lining people up in the square, they could pass on or pass forward a skill set like sharper reflexes, quicker reaction times, reactions to violence, and these help us to survive the trauma they experienced. The problem is we could inherit a stress, we could inherit a stress response with the dials set to 10, and we're prepared for a catastrophe that never really arrives. And we rarely make the link. We don't think to look over or turn over these stones. That our, that our anxiety, our hypervigilance, our depression is actually connected to our parents or grandparents. We just think this is how we are. We're just wired this way. But these gene changes, as we're now learning, can be transmitted to our children and even onto our children's children. 
It was actually in the late 50s and early 60s in Israel that psychiatrists and psychologists began to notice that some of the children of, the Hol of Holocaust survivors had many of the same symptoms as their parents. Actually, one of the first major studies of intergenerational trauma took place at Montreal's Jewish General Hospital, where beginning in 1972, Dr. Vivian Rakoff and his colleagues studied 144 families of Holocaust survivors. His 1973 paper, which was called Some Second Generation Effects of the Survival of Nazi Persecution, considered a landmark, concluded that there was similarities between the behavior of the children and their parents. So it also found that teenagers of Holocaust survivors had greater problems coping when compared to their peers in a clinical control group. However, not all children of Holocaust survivors demonstrated PTSD symptoms. But for those who did, the Israeli and the other studies showed that the children's behavior varied from abnormal aggression to passivity. What most did demonstrate, however, were higher, higher levels of anxiety than others in their age group. So Rachel Yehuda, who's a professor of psychiatry and neuroscience at Mount Sinai School of Medicine, um, she's very much a prominent researcher in this field. And more recently, about 15 years ago, she discovered that the children of Holocaust survivors were born with the same trauma symptoms as their parents, specifically low levels of cortisol, the stress hormone. She also found a similar pattern in the children born to mothers who were near or at the World Trade Center when it was attacked on 9-11. Babies were smaller for their gestational age and born with 16 genes that were expressed differently. So about four years ago, she found that trauma survivors and their children shared the exact same gene changes in the exact same region of the exact same gene. And this gene happens to be the FKBP5 gene for people who like to track their genes, but this is a gene involved in stress regulation and depressive disorders. So she also found that you and I are three times more likely to have symptoms of PTSD if one of our parents had PTSD. And as a result, we're more likely to struggle with anxiety and depression. In one study from Emory Medical School in Atlanta, male mice were made to fear a cherry blossom scent. They were shocked every time they smelled it, resulting in epigenetic changes in the blood, uh, brain, and sperm. In the brain, they observed areas that became enlarged where there was a greater amount of smell receptors so mice could detect the scent at lesser concentrations, meaning their brains had epigenetically adapted to protect them. Researchers also took sperm, because there were changes in the sperm as well, and impregnated females who were not shocked. The amazing thing is what happened next in the second and third generations. The mice became jumpy and jittery with never having smelled the cherry blossom scent before. So basically, we were they were inheriting the stress response without directly experiencing the trauma. And so the last piece of science I want to mention is one of the most replicated studies where researchers prevented females from nurturing their pups for up to three hours a day during the first two weeks of life. Later in life, the offspring exhibited behaviors that were similar to what we now call depression in humans. The symptoms seemed to worsen as the mice aged. And surprisingly, some of the males didn't express the behaviors themselves, but appeared to epigenetically transmit the behavioral changes to their female offspring. And they saw this, or sorry, they saw these effects for three generations. So this would be like fathers going off to war, coming back numb from the trauma, and daughters carrying their father's fight, flight, freeze response, the shaking hair, the shifting. That is so interesting. And, um, you know, I can even see personally, generationally <laughs> things, you know, that I 
I'm doing where it's like, oh my goodness, my mom does that. Oh my goodness, my grandmother does that. And now my son is doing that. So, you know, it's, it's so apparent that these things happen, but it's like, how do, how do we correct them? I'll get into that question, but you know, this separation that you were talking about, how does this have an impact on us? Because isn't this kind of similar to (laughs) what we're going through right now in the pandemic? Like there's huge separation, right? So how does this impact us? Well, in, in the work that I do, we call these separations, refer to them as breaks in the bond and or breaks in the attachment with mom. And they're everywhere. I actually, um, refer to them as the first pandemic. So because when we have a break in the attachment with mom, it's, it's a challenge to feel safe and secure in life. So when mother's connection is cut off, we can have difficulty trusting the feelings of who we are inside. And this is because a child's inner experience of him or herself comes and actually depends on his mother's attunement. So if we have a break in the bond with our mom, it's felt as a break in the bond with ourselves, with our core. So when she's cut off and we're cut off from her, we're actually cut off from ourselves. And mom is our first heartbeat. She's our first love and our first relationship. Our bond with with mother is also the blueprint for feeling safe in life and being able to receive receive from life, receive from people, even receive a compliment. Um, It's the blueprint for health and our intimate relationships. Whatever's unresolved with mom falls onto the lap of our our partner. The psychoanalyst Heinz Kohat actually talks about how the gleam in a mother's eye is the vehicle for how a child develops in a healthy way. It's in this way that it a child develops um, a healthy narcissism because we're seen by our mother. So when we're cut off from our mother's presence, we're cut off from our core, our gut feelings. And it doesn't matter if the separation is a physical one or an emotional distancing or disconnection. It's interesting because the brain is actually the organ that is the least developed at birth. Um, Gaber Matei calls the first nine months of life the second gestation because so much of our neural development is dependent on mom. Mom and baby are like two tuning forks and that the baby's prefrontal cortex gets tuned by mom's feeling states. So when a mother's depressed or not in sync with her baby, the message is something's wrong. Where did she go? What's happening? And if she's afraid, I'm afraid. And if her tension is diverted because of stress, maybe it's dad's drinking, he's cheating, they're fighting, they're splitting up. She's a single mom trying to figure out what to do. Or she just didn't even get, or she didn't get enough attunement from her mother. Then we're in utero struggling. And we're unconsciously, the feeling is, where is she? I can't feel her. I can't feel her around me. And then becomes um, potentially feelings like I don't matter and I'm not enough or I'm too much. Or alternately, something must be wrong with me. And even as early as in utero, we can begin to organize around our mother's feeling states. If I can make my mother feel okay, then she'll make me feel okay. And then we repeatedly leave our core, even in utero and even in the first few years of life to attend to her because we no longer trust that she's gonna be there. And of course we don't trust receiving from her anymore. And we feel alone and we yearn for the sec- that, that security that goes missing and the dopamine that's missing in the brain's motivational cir- circuitry. So now we begin to search outside ourselves for alcohol, drugs, sex, checking our phone. Um, how many likes do we have on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram? We get addicted to Netflix or the news. We go shopping, we eat too much. Um, There's so many ways that we look for that dopamine fix. It's interesting because financial issues also have their core in our mother's attunement. It's the source of abundance for a baby. It's the baby's template for getting enough and having enough. So when we have a break in the bond or the attunement with our mom, we often feel like we don't get enough or have enough. And that's the first place I look when working with clients struggling, struggling financially. 
And the good news, all the moms listening can take a big breath because a tumor doesn't, with mom doesn't have to be 100%. Dr. Edward Tronick says it only needs to be between 20 and 30%. And the break can be healed at any time, at any age. Actually, any inherited trauma can be healed at any time, any age, regardless whether our mother or father is still alive or has passed on. Um, something I'd encourage you to do is just to um, note something called the still face experiment and Google that. It's a a video that Dr. Tronic did, and it's really potent. I really encourage you to, to watch it. It's just under three minutes long. But just to dig a little deeper um, into where these breaks can happen, um, where they come from, it can actually happen anytime from conception to about 10 years of age when there's any physical or emotional distancing between mom and baby. And it's also really important to consider what the in utero environment was like. The cells that become our heart and our nervous system develop at 20 days. So any stress being experienced by mom gets laid down and actually becomes like our somatic soundtrack. And it's not uncommon that we're born with, as I mentioned earlier, with the dials to our stress response set to 10. I've deemed this actually the meerkat mode, you know, that little, um, little animal from the Lion King movie. who's just always on guard, always watching, always waiting for <clears throat> something to happen. And turns out it's this hypervigilance becomes our default mode. Our amygdala is always on guard, looking to keep us safe. And I also affectionately refer to this as limbic lockdown. Studies have shown that fetuses can already go into fight flight. Um, Dr. Thomas Verney found that under extreme stress, babies are often born premature, below average weight, hyperactive, irritable, and colicky. Some even with ulcers or with their thumbs suck draw in an effort to self soothe and self-regulate. So some examples of events that can create a break in the attunement with mom include being in an incubator, uh, forceps delivery or cesarean birth, mom and dad are fighting when mom is pregnant with you, mom loses a family member, her brother, her mother, for example, or born after miscarriage, um, or born after an abortion, or the baby before us is given away, we're raised by a family member, we're adopted, uh, mom and dad can even go on holidays for an extended period of time. And when they come back to pick up their little Sally, she grabs her shoes or coat. And she actually gets her backpack and, um, and is mislabeled as being independent, which is actually code for I don't trust in your care anymore. And so there's other telltale signs or side effects if you know we don't know a lot about our family history. Um, we can have a couple of these or all of them. And as I mentioned, we wear independence as like it's a badge of honor. It can be hard to ask for help, it just feels uncomfortable and it's easier to figure things out for ourselves. I worked with a client once who broke her arm and she didn't tell her mom for two days. She was about seven years old. Um, it can be a challenge for us to trust in good things. We're, it's like we're always waiting for the other, shoe to drop, the other shoe to drop. I would go on holidays and I was always surprised that the plane would land. Or we can self-sabotage when something good does happen. It's like our nervous system doesn't have a big enough container to hold on to the good things. We've spent years, even a lifetime, unconsciously constricting our nervous system. It's, it's the result of the defense of a small child who's just wanting to feel safe. We can feel like an outsider. We don't feel comfortable in groups. We can speak in front of hundreds of people, but when it comes to being vulnerable and working in the room and mingling, we'd rather chew on tinfoil. Um, we have a hard time speaking up for ourselves. Uh, it's a huge challenge to say no. We're so scared to lose any thread of connection. And we're also people pleasers and givers. You know, we need a core, we need a connection with our mom. And especially if we've had a sad mom, 
we're looking to be seen by her. And one way of doing that is just to be, you know, take care of her feelings. And so, as I mentioned, this break in the bond is heritable. We can inherit our mother's break with her mom. We can carry her feelings of not being seen, not being heard, feeling alone, abandoned, and not feeling safe. We can also inherit the break that our dad has with his mom. But I really want to underscore that this doesn't mean mom doesn't love us. It's just her attention is taken away and she's not there for all of those important developmental stages in that neural development. But the really great news is the bond is always repairable and any inherited family trauma is repairable. So I know Shannon wants to talk about that more a little bit later. So I will uh, throw it back to her. Yeah, I would definitely love to learn even like so much more about this. So um, for our listeners, you know, where you do private sessions, what, what's the process of someone, you know, someone's listening and they're like, oh yeah, that's me. That's me and my mom and her mom. What can I, like, what can I do? What can these people do? How do they get a hold of you? You know, what's next step here? Yeah. So, um, I do do private sessions cause this is how I, I healed. So I, I was telling you earlier, Shannon, I ran into my doctor a few years ago and um, I was that type of person where I just, I always felt like I was on the outside looking in and this, you know, connected back to different family dynamics and obviously the break. I have the loveliest mom. She's had lots of trauma. So there wasn't a lot of juice coming down the pipeline. And, and so, um, so I did this work and it's, you know, the healing practices are based in neuroscience and we're, you know, we're giving back to ourselves or we're re um, parenting ourselves and giving us what we didn't get. And learning to receive, because like I said, so many of us had sad moments that we were just looking to make her happy so we could feel connected. And, and we see that translate into our relationships with our friends, our family, our coworkers, where, you know, we can, we, there's that high possibility of setting ourselves aside and saying yes to everybody except ourselves. So, so going back to the healing part, I ran into my doctor a few years ago and he's like, Carrie, you look different. You know, do you have a boyfriend? And I said, nope, I have a core. Cause I was that person who somebody would say they would phone and they didn't. And I would literally be on the floor, like in the fetal position, just decimated and devastated. That connection for me was so fragile. And so, you know, I, I, I call this, you know, coming home to ourselves and Rick Hansen, who's a neuropsychologist in uh, California, he says all sickness is homesickness. And so when we have more of ourselves, or when we have this break with our mom, it's like our, our core, our sense of self, our safe of sense of safety, it's like it's Swiss cheese inside. And so this work is kind of like plugging the holes. And so we have more of ourselves. So when life happens, you know, the, the vertical that we're not in a tsunami so much in our reactivity, it, we, it's, it's more of a, a, a breeze on the water. We can respond to things. Because when we're in that limbic lockdown, that part of our brain where we're hypervigilant and waiting for the other shoe to drop, we're, we're reactive and we can't think things through. And one of the um, pieces I learned that just was a game changer for me was in one of the neuroplasticity trainings I did is the prefrontal cortex is where we're resourced and we make decisions. And, you know, it's the center for love and joy and all the goodness of life. When we're in limbic lockdown and it's, you know, nobody's fault. It's the brain's um, the way the brain developed to keep us from um, being lunch the lion's lunch so that we can have our own lunch later on you know it's just it's structured to keep us safe and that um, negativity bias that all the the bad news the bad stuff sticks like velcro and all the good stuff slips away like teflon so it's it's um 
changing that relationship because if we're stuck in the in the emotional the limbic lockdown part of our brain the blood glucose and energy isn't moving forward into our prefrontal cortex it's a teeter-totter it's either or and so we work on different practicing different tools and techniques to shift those resources so we're in prefrontal cortex which um you know we talk about how we need to heal the trauma response by having a new image or a new experience and so that's what we do in the sessions and it's all based in neuroplasticity. It's something that we practice. We encourage people to practice 30 to 60 seconds um, every day. It becomes um, ingrained in our day, like brushing our teeth and you know checking our email. It just becomes a new habit, and it changes the way our, our genes function, which then in turn you know turns down the the stress response, which then you know even changes the way that our hormones and neurotransmitters flow and function. We increase the good. Mm. You know, the dopamine, the oxytocin, the serotonin, the GABA, all, all the good stuff flows in life becomes different. Hmm. And, and better, right? Different and better. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> By different, I mean, yeah, absolutely better. Yeah. And it's like, it's like insulation. We have, um, you know, in the walls of our home, we have, we have more of that inside of ourselves. So we're we become resourced and instead of um, reactive and, and doing, you know, any of those behaviors that we're tempted to do. Yes. Super interesting. And um, this is through the um, the work you do with Mark Wolin. Um, I guess it's through the Fam Family Constellation Institute. Is that correct? Well, I trained with Mark. Yeah, I have my own website, so it's carriedunlove.com. But I would highly recommend people run out and grab uh, Mark's book because it will actually take you through the process step by step. So it's called It Didn't Start With You, How Inherited Family Trauma Shapes Who We Are and How You End the Cycle. And you can actually buy it. I have a resource page on my website, so you can buy it um, from there Okay. as well. But it's perfect. You know, a lot of people don't need one-on-one -on -one sessions. They, they're able to put the pieces of their um, pieces together themselves just by searching where they can Wonderful. We'll put a link to both the book and of course your website um, on the podcast notes so people can find it out there and uh, and definitely look it up because I think this is something that we, we all deal with, you know, and um, to be able to, to recognize it and say, hey, you know, I would love to clear this up so that I can have a healthier, happier life. And, you know, would you say that um, I know when we study in, you know, the, the world of yogic healing and energy healing we always say it doesn't start in the body it ends up in the body so by going back and healing these these traumas emotionally mentally does it well i know the answer to my question but i'm gonna ask you anyway does it have an effect physically <laughs> and one of one of the big diagnostic tools we do is is a body centered um like I said, somatically, this gets laid down so early, early on that um, the body is the, the way through. And and one of the big, you know, one of the big um, teachings of Mark is is how how challenging it is to for us to sit with uncomfortable feelings that we have to learn to tolerate what's uncomfortable. And that's what these tools do. They keep us with our body so that we're not grabbing the Snickers bar or that extra cup of coffee or um, you know, avoiding ourselves. There's so many things we do to avoid sitting with ourselves and, and connecting back to, you know, it's basically integrating these fragmented parts of us that split off or shut down or tightened or numb 
when we were small as a defense, like I said, to, to stay safe, which um, worked okay back then, but it's not such a great strategy now that we're, you know, human or adults, um, you know, trying to live our best lives. So you can see their potholes that we end up tripping over. So, yeah, so these tools help to, you know, a lot of people will refer to it as inner child work um, or inner kid work, but some people are a little, you know, aren't are a little adverse to that phrase. So we just talk about, you know, integrating these fragmented parts that, like I said, had split off or shut down or numbed out when we were small and, and bringing them back, integrating them. And, and like I said, coming home to ourselves. So, so that's, that's how we make the Swiss cheese into Gouda. This the core that we have that is originally full of holes. We can fill them back up with all these parts of ourselves that Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, the next question I have for you is in regards to a few of the other uh, wellness things that you do. Um, you have a, a huge background of working with different things, different areas of wellness, and you're also a um, young living specialist and neuroscience geek, <laughs> as we can call you. Um, what would be your top three tips, suggestions, ideas? Um, in each of these areas that our listeners can take home with them for betterment of their well-being? Well, I am a big um, Young Living essential oils fan and, and I've been studying their effects on the brain and actually I have a friend who just happens to be a neuroscientist so I um, pick his brains. He's kind enough to answer my questions but there's a fab four of oils and he researched all the brands and specifically picked Young Living but um, so I was talking to him I said you know with with the work that I do, you know, what are some oils that can support my clients? And, and so in terms of feeling safe and down-regulating the stress response, there's four that he um, recommended, which I had already been using and loved, but, um, so the first one would be frankincense. So frankincense is high in a constituent called um, alpha-thionine, and that helps to calm the system. Um, mm -hmm. Frankincense is also high in a constituent called uh, sescaterpenes, and what's interesting with sescaterpenes is they can cross the blood-brain barrier. So oils that are high in sescaterpenes can do things that pharmaceuticals can't do. So, um, so that was super cool. And frankincense is often people's desert island oil. So if they were stranded on a desert island, could only take one oil, it would be frankincense because it has over 10,000 uses. So Whoa. If for a good Google project, that would be <laughs> phenomenal. It's the H spots too on the um, um, second one is lavender. So lavender, I affectionately refer to as the break in the bond oil because it helps to shift feelings of abandonment and aloneness. Um, also calming for the nervous system. Um, the next one is bergamot and that's um, his favorite oil of all time because it uh, helps with anxiety and they actually use it in hospitals for anxiety and it's also bergamot's really great. Well, he says it has the... Um, biggest neuroprotective benefits. So it's really great for our brain, bergamot. Yeah, so, uh, and then last one is ylang ylang, which is really great for developmental trauma. So I'll use them all. I'll put, make a little roller bottle. I have one here and I'll put all, you know, seven or eight drops and then fill it up or seven, eight drops of each and then fill it up with fractionated coconut oil or I'll diffuse a couple 
back in the day when anxiety was a real issue for me, I would just take the lid off the bergamot and I would just like stick it under my nose and just inhale it for five, 10 minutes. And it would totally bring me back to center. And that way you don't even use any oil when you're just smelling it from the bottle. So that's kind of handy. Um, so that's one of my tips. Um, Mama nature is my second, like just getting out and being near a tree and mountain water, just getting out of your environment to um, shift, shift things. You know, there's study after study um, regarding, you know, how being, you know, taking walks. I think the CBC did a study and like walking, if you could only do one exercise, it would be walking is all the benefits. But I know I come home a different person than when I left my condo. I just um, feel so different. And then the third one, I, I think it's just, it's, I still practice these tools. So um, if I'm feeling rattled or unsettled, you know, I go to, um, so one of the tools is actually locating in your body where you're feeling stressed or anxious or numb and putting your hands there. Um, and then just saying to yourself, I'm here. Well, actually you're saying this to your kid, little kids, like your adult self is connecting back to your inner kid. And it's, and the, and the sentences are, I'm here, I've got you. I'll breathe with you until you feel safe, seen and heard. And sometimes like back in the day when I was not doing so well, I would, there would be times where I'd be on my bed for an hour, just like comforting and self-soothing and just reconnecting. And, and like I said, integrating those fragmented parts because it's, you know, I, I get into a fight with a friend and it's like, who was that? Like, I'm not like that. And it's like, it is your three-year-old self reacting <laughs> very much like a three-year-old. And it's just those parts that didn't get um, those, that emotional um, distress that didn't get completed. And so we can do that for ourselves. And, and when what's beautiful about this work, it's not contingent on anybody. Um, no, we're not held hostage by anybody else participating or being willing. Um, we can do healing as an internal movement. So we can take these tools and just practice them with ourselves. And, um, and it doesn't condone what may have happened to somebody in their system. Um, it just explains. And so I metaphor I use is that before this work, we kind of go through life looking at the sky through a straw and all we get is what's in the straw. And so this work is about dropping the straw and putting all the other pieces in place so we get the full picture in terms of what happened. Because basically it's a 30,000 foot view of um, seeing where love got diminished because things don't happen in a vacuum. You know, our, our dad drinks because more than likely his mom was unavailable in some way, shape or form. And so we, we actually plot, when I work with a client, we, I work with a, a three generation traumagram and we'll plot the the traumas and, and connect the dots. They're like, it's like a breadcrumb trail back to where the trauma originated. And then of course we go into work with the, the healing tools. Hmm, this is all so important. And um, I definitely love those oils. I'd have to say frankincense is probably on the top of my list too. Um, I have it all the time. I think I have over a hundred different young living ones now just because uh, yeah, I just found, oh, this one's good for this. This one's good for this. I need this one. <laughs> it's like, that's a wormhole in and of itself. And I you know I have a good friend who's using them in, a, in her um, acupuncture and physiotherapy practice. And she was actually introduced to them by a doctor out in Nelson, D.C. Oh, wow. 31 years ago. And, the, and this doctor didn't use, she would always um, prescribe oils before a script for giving somebody a prescription. So 
I can't imagine what her rep, you know, what some people may like. Good kudos to her. Like that, mm-hmm. she has all of my respect. Um, and I'm sure there was a few people on the fringe who thought she was a little out there. But yeah, so I, yeah, so my early oracle is um, been using oils in her practice for over 20 years and she's just been using resource. So, um, yeah, I actually have um, before and after brain maps that were done smelling the oils for five minutes and how um the neuro practice uh, the neurofeedback practitioner saw changes that he would normally see after six months of neurofeedback sessions and so wow. just from smelling the oil these are the, sh- the shifts he's gone he's you know it's not like turning a switch and your brain changes you keep you know training the brain and you know but oils are fun to use like heck i'd rather you know sit and smell an oil and lots of other things that have been on my protocols over the years <laughs> yeah no kidding right <laughs> well we'll have to just the financially i think it's for it's 40 sessions at 160 dollars a session is what would be in that six month time frame and he saw those changes after um smelling oils for and i have those brain maps you know i have lavender and some other ones so if anybody is interested just email me and i'm happy to send send that your way mm-hmm yeah, we'll put your contact on the um, on the podcast notes and they can definitely get a hold of you for that. But yeah, awesome. I know they've definitely helped me and and like you said, getting out into nature too. And, and I love that, you know, I'm here, I've got you. Um, just going back and comforting that, comforting that child and letting them know they're okay. So how did you ultimately decide that you wanted to make a career out of helping people? Like all of these things you, you've said have, have helped you and then, and then, you know, you're, you're, now you're sharing them with the world. Yeah. So that I, I, um, I remember like when I first got into TV, I just wanted to tell people stories. Cause I just, I remember reading about um, Roger Bannister, he was the first one to break the four minute mile. And it just, when I hear stories like that, it just like blows my brain because it's like, if he can, then maybe I can too. If it's not me, then there's gonna be other people. So it's just the power of references, right? So that's what really inspired me. And it just helped me. So I thought, well, why not pay it forward? And, and I've always thought that our pain is our purpose in disguise. And so, you know, we're here for a reason and, um, life life is filled with all kinds of things as we all know but i think the most meaningful thing is to be able to pay it forward to somebody else and if even if someone's just a step behind you in their journey if you've learned something um i know for me spending 19 years getting a diagnosis was brutal it was really really hard and there was really dark times um so like i said earlier if i can fast track it for anybody there's nothing that makes me feel more joy inside so that's um yeah and it's just i always had this strange insight too that the best things have found me so you know with mark's work and being sent to his workshop by Jeff, like i would never have thought that to be a thing you know in terms of my list of options and life things to do it's like you know i've been grateful that i've been on this track where you know some of the really best parts of my life and things that have sort of found their way to me so Mm -hmm. yeah it all kind of just find falls into place like when when someone usually gets chronically ill you know the first thing that we're conditioned to do is go to the 
the medical doctor <laughs> get all the tests and eventually that doesn't come up with solutions so then we might you know look into the alternative world um, and then there's so many different options there and usually we're looking for options that just deal with the body not with the mind or the emotions right so it's like um, things end up in the body and you got to go to where they start and they start beyond that so you know like you said working with those inherited family traumas and you know all these breaks from the connection breaks from love healing that and then eventually seeing those results heal in the body because you're bringing about homeostasis in the mind and the energy system well it was interesting because dr hoffman actually sent me to another practitioner who was based in you know and i was so tired of like I didn't know where she was practicing out of, and I thought by the description of her, she's going to be in Nepal or somewhere, you know, far-reaching. And I just thought, <laughs> I am so tired. I can't you know, just to get to my appointments is all I can manage. I can't imagine like having to like trek halfway across the planet. But it turns out she was in Reno, Nevada at the time, and she was amazing. She had me diagnosed in an hour over the phone, and um, but both her and Dr. Hoffman had done Mark's training, and so. And ironically, they both said very similar things. They said, if you don't look at um, your family system and what's going on and how it connects to your health, then A, the protocols and the supplements you're taking won't work as well. It's almost like there's not the same energetic capacity for them to do what they need to do. And then, and then they said, you heal and get well, you're more than likely to relapse because underneath, you know, they look, symptoms are signposts underneath our symptoms the system just really wants to be healed and so um yeah that just got my attention yeah it definitely does especially when you know we think the only answer is is going to um a physician and getting a prescription and treating the symptoms when you know it's it's not getting to the root of the problem right that's a big issue that that's very apparent even though some physicians won't um, admit to it because they can't or, you know, they'd lose their license, but yeah. Well, and that's what's so beautiful about this work is it's like it's, um, it's, you know, functional medicine looks at root cause and this inherited family trauma is emotional root cause. And so when we've got that, um, you know, and Mark even shares his own story at the beginning of his book, it was his own health crisis that um, brought him to this work. So it's, you know, that's, you know, you, Dr. Demartini, I don't know if you've heard or familiar with his work, but he's another one on Dr. Hoffman's list of um, people to, uh, you know, attend his workshops or read his books. But he talks about how life is, um, you can't have one side of a magnet. You'll be at his workshop and he'll say, I'll give you $2 million if you can give me one side of a magnet which brought so much relief to me because I, especially with the, the, the negativity of the uh, negativity bias of the brain, right? We're always seeing the bad or the ugly and um, where in fact, you know, the universe is made up of um, black holes and supernovas. There's creation and destruction happening all the time. And we're, we're conditioned to look at something at something as good or bad, but whereas in fact, an opportunity has its drawbacks and something negative has its the proverbial hidden silver lining. And so his process is about, it's very cognitive. And so it's very much about collapsing um, a negative experience and seeing the benefits. And um, he talks about how the basic element of life is a photon and it has a positive charge and negative charge comes together and creates light. And so in the human experience, when we can equilibrate or collapse 
um, a negative experience, it creates love in the soul. And then we just, as, as humans do, we just go on to the next lesson and we get to deconstruct it the same way. But it just, it was really, um, yeah, that too was a game changer for me um, in terms of just, you know, when something, even when something bad happened and I didn't have the bandwidth to kind of figure it out, just having that um, information as, as something to kind of rest in was really helpful. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So you've obviously definitely personally hugely benefited from these practices that you support, would you say? Yeah, I'm kind of that way. I can't really promote anything that I haven't had firsthand experience of. So, um, and it's, you know, I've been in positions where I've had things offered to me and I couldn't do it. So, and I'm okay with that because I really stand behind, you know, my experience, especially with, you know, this coming home to myself and just having more of myself and just feeling stronger and less fragile and, um, you know, able to hand handle the curveballs when they come. You know, it's like life still happens. It's we still, you know, have to deal with things, but we just are more resourced and have more of ourselves to give to the situation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, would you definitely would you say that these these modalities and these things have definitely helped your healing process? Yeah. I mean, and I still have several supplements and you know, my weekly gut is back and you know, different things, but, <laughs> um, but I just, it doesn't, the suffering isn't, yeah, I just don't suffer like I did all the time, every day. It's uh, it, it makes a big difference and I can definitely attest to that as well, <laughs> that experience and to be able to not suffer, um, you know, would just be an amazing, amazing thing. And there's so many, so many, like millions of, of, of people in the world suffering from chronic illness. And if they could just fix it and just heal it, you know, and know that it's possible, uh, it's, it's just the first thing because the first thing you're told when you're diagnosed is like, it's not possible. This is not curable. It does not heal. Sorry, here's the prescription, you know, and go home and deal with it really is what you're told. And just so, you know, Dr. Hoffman is, he, he has a model called the seven stages of health and transformation and um, this trauma work lens, you know, stage one is basically, you know, you need more vitamin D or hormone replacement therapy or something. And then, and so, you know, we dive deeper, the further up um, the ladder we go. And so the trauma work is level four and level six. And um, it's just, yeah, he's just, I can't say enough about him. I wouldn't be here if I hadn't crossed paths with him. I don't think I would have lasted um, this long and he's just he brings such a depth and heart to um, how he works and treats his his patients and so I uh, yeah and and it's great you know you, we talked about these proverbial silver linings it's like I have resources where I you know I sent my dad up to see him my dad had was really struggling his mercury levels were off the chart and he couldn't get out of bed and my mom had was over prescribed progesterone and she couldn't get out of bed. And so it's like, I know someone can help you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's definitely um, nice to see that you're, that you're doing a lot better and, and definitely full of light and um, they can't see you, but I can see you. <laughs> so I wanted to ask a kind of a fun question. 
So a bit of a throwback question for you. So you went from being a TV producer to a wellness specialist. Do you miss the old days? I can imagine it was pretty fun working in TV, interviewing people. Do you find yourself um, using some of those skills that you learned back then today? Um, well, I certainly miss some of the people. I don't miss the hours, like standing 17 hours in the rain, working on a show that's not about anything was not, it was, it was kind of soul sucking. I really struggled. You know, some shows were great. So, um, but I think I, you know, yeah, there were definitely, um, and I worked for the most lovely director in LA for a year and a half, um, Christopher Kane, and it was such a, um, a great experience. And we were actually uh, looking to re, imagine uh, the uh, Wizard of Oz story, which has a bit of a, which plays a bit of a, a theme in my life. Um, I had a company called Glinda Girls. So, so a couple of big things that I learned working from film and television, um, one being being proactive. Because when you're working on a film set and the meter's running at 60, 70, 80, $100,000 an hour, it's really ingrained in you to be very solution focused. And so as opposed to stewing on the problem and who did what, it's, it's, it's like a, a, it really is like a switch that flips and you're just, you're, you're, it's like you've got this laser sharp focus on trying to figure out how to be part of the solution. And so that I'm really grateful for because I, um, I use that, you know, to this day. And stories, like my love of stories I mentioned started when I was like four or five years old, oh, grade one. I was. I was marching up the reading ladder and I won the reading ladder award in grade one. And I was just like soaking up, read, you know, books and stories. And, and that, you know, now I'm working with people and their stories in a whole other way, but it's, um, it is this thread that has followed me and I'm just grateful for that. And, <clears throat> and uh, you know, it's what we see, what we don't see and what we don't know that plays such a big part, um, but we can uncover it with these tools and, and um yeah, definitely changed the way our lives are for the better. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So a question now relating to what we're currently going through with the pandemic. How do you see the world changing considering this enormous energetic and economical reconfiguration um, that we've just gone through and are going through? Do you have any tips for those that are struggling right now to deal with the stress and the pressures that have been a result of the pandemic? Um, well, I think just hearkening back to what I said earlier, like where, you know, this is all threatening our sense of safety and security and, um, and it's something that's not new to our bodies. It might be new to, like we were talking about earlier, our minds, but it's probably amplifying something that happened in utero or that we've inherited, um, you know, from, from our family system and, and just doing that exercise um, where, you know, finding those places in our body where we're not feeling so safe and just repeating those sentences. I'm here, I've got you, I'll breathe with you until you feel um, safe, seen and heard. And then oils, actually Young Living's oil, peace and calming is the emotional benefit for that is safety. So thieves is another great option. Gary Young was researching and discovered the story of, it harkens back to the bubonic plague and there was um, a group of smugglers and they were looting from the dead and they had, uh, her, um, handkerchiefs covered with different herbs and spices and they never got sick and so eventually they were caught and the king actually lessened their sentence if they gave up what their their recipe was and that's where the um, history of the thieves um, oil blend comes from and that the emotional 
support for thieves is uncertainty. So, you know, using those tools and oils and what's so great about oils in terms of our emotional um, health is, is scent is the one sense that goes right to um, our amygdala. All the other senses, so like taste, sight, touch, they have to be routed through the thalamus. But in 22 seconds, that oil hits your amygdala through the olfactory bulb and it starts to do its magic. And so that's why we can feel better so fast with oils. Wow. Wow. That is so interesting. So everyone go get your frankincense. <laughs> magic, magic in, um, in bottles. I just love them. Um, so do you have like a go-to, I know you have the oils and you said going out in nature, but is there like a go-to emergency, um, go-to emergency meditation mantra, you know, that you've given us a few already, but is there, there one that's very special that you do in an emergency? There's one that I want to share because I, and then I'll, um, just because it dovetails so nicely with Mark's work. And I don't know if I've told you about this book, Shannon, but um, Tosha Silva wrote a book called It's Not Your Money. And it's very much, she used to be an astrologer, but now she does, she writes and, um, and does this work. But there's a, a mantra in there that I, and it's been two years and I'll still feel my nervous system unwind. And because when we have these traumas and, um, you know, we're people pleasers and givers and, you know, all the history connected to that, learning to receive is such a big part of healing. And so she had one simple mantra and people would, you know, use it as their screensaver on their phones or the computers. And it's so short and so simple and so easy. I'll, you know, I'll probably do it 50 times a day, whether you know, I'm driving at a stoplight or doing dishes, but it's easy for me to receive. And that has been a huge part for me because of, like I said, the, um, you know, attachment issues with mom. And, and um, as I mentioned, just, you know, a few minutes ago, just being, and I love giving, but, but the problem is, is when we, we lose ourselves in the giving and um, there's even, you know, um, we can even harm our relationships if we're in a romantic relationship. If, we, if we're giving too much and it's not balanced, we kind of, we inundate our partner and, and they can even leave us for someone who, cause they can't give back. There's no space for them to give back. And so, but we just want, we want to, it's like fear of losing them or not trusting them to stay around or, you know, whatever it is, but we just, we, we, you know, Mark would do workshops and he would have two people stand up and one person would be the giver and they would give their purse and then their coat and their jacket and the person you can just see, you physically see what that does to somebody, you know, emotionally, yeah. it's like, uh, I'm suffocating. So, um, so yeah, so, so for, for many of you out there who, um, struggle with receiving. Um, it's easy for me to receive as a as an awesome mantra. Um, and then I think I just you know I hate to be a broken record, but just going back to I'm here. I've got you. I'll breathe with you until you. That's that's my emergency. Well, um, cool, for sure. Mm -hmm. All great things. Thank you so much for those. And uh, I love that. I love that mantra. So now we get to the part where I ask you, how do you dial in? And what does dialing in mean to you? Or I guess you could say, what is it that you're dialing into? Um, I think for me, it's um, expansion. You know, like we, we talked about earlier, how, you know, all these defenses that we adapt as little people um, really takes 
shape in our nervous system. And so for me now, I'm, I'm working to keep that expansion, you know, it's like titration, you know, titrating it and just practice, practicing the receiving and opening and being more open to more of life in, in all the good ways and being of service and just, um, you know, Oprah's living my best life as Oprah would say. So how can, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Um, if they want to learn more about, you know, you do functional medicine, the inherited family trauma, you do private sessions, how can they, what's the best way to get in touch? Yeah, so um, my website is carriedunlock.com. That's K-A-R-I unlockwithtires.com. <laughs> Perfect. And we'll definitely put that in the show notes there. Do you have any final words that you would like to leave our listeners with today? Well, I think, um, you know, we can't be too kind to ourselves right now. And just, I know for me with the pandemic, it's just, it was very clarifying and, you know, what's important and what isn't and really valuing things. I remember running out of my favorite tea and my sister brought me some and I'm, oh my gosh, that was the best cup of tea I ever had in my entire life. So really savoring the lesson, I think. Um, I know that's what I'm going to take on um, as we move through this. And, you know, and remember, you know, I've had emails from people and they're, and they're struggling and, you know, they've, they've made a lot of progress with the work we've done and, and they hit a road bump. And I'm like, yeah, I remember we're a year into the pandemic. And they're like, oh, I f- they forget. And, and just how, even in the subtlest, you know, there's big ways we, you know, tuning, watching the news, we hear all kinds, you know, turning off the news, I would say maybe would be one thing. <laughs> um, but not forgetting just to be extra, extra gentle, kind, compassionate to yourself. Absolutely. We're all in this together. Well, it's been a pleasure, Carrie, catching up with you. I know, um, I think it's been, I don't even know how many years since we've seen each other. Over 10, at least, I think. Yeah. I've learned so much from this episode, and uh, I would definitely love to have you back um, someday to talk more about this because it's such an important topic. And we'll put the links to your website, and if anyone's interested, reach out to Carrie. Yeah, thank you again. It's just so wonderful both seeing you and hearing your wisdom and having you share it all with us as well. Thank you so much, Kat. Such a pleasure and privilege. So thank you so much, Carrie, for joining us today. We had a wonderful chat. We started off on talking about Carrie's 25-year history of dealing with chronic illness and 19 of those years being undiagnosed. We then went on to talk about inherited family trauma and epigenetics. She talks about how these breaks can happen anytime where there's physical distancing between mom and baby, but these can also be healed at any time, even if the mother has passed on. She talked about the amygdala and how it's always on guard trying to keep us safe. She then gave us some examples on how separation happens, you know, from different things at birth to different traumas that happen in life. She says that we can wear our badge of independence as a badge of honor, and it can be a challenge for us to trust on good things and ask for help. We then went on to talk about a few different oils that you can use when under stress. And some of these oils were frankincense, lavender, bergamot, ylang-ylang. She talks all about them in the podcast. 
and uh, she emphasizes the importance of getting out into nature and just locating in your body where you're feeling stressed and putting your hands there saying to yourself I'm here I've got you I'll breathe with you until you feel safe and heard she then talks about how Dr. Hoffman has helped her after her 19 years and she wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him. She talked about a few things that we can do to deal with stress in times like these with the pandemic. And then we also get to find out how Carrie dials in. She finishes the episode by reminding us that we can't be too kind to ourselves right now. Remember that we are in a pandemic and not to forget that we need to be extra gentle and kind and compassionate to both ourselves and to others. So it's such a pleasure talking with you today, Carrie, and I hope to have you back soon. Thank you so much for all of your wisdom and expertise. Thank you for joining us on the Dialed In Podcast. This is your host, Shannon Lynn. Namaste.